Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... It's one person coming in from China. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will. We're going to all be great. We're going to be so good. This is a pandemic. The Betches Sup Podcast. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Betches Sup Daily Corona Cast. This is Amanda. Today's episode is a little different. We have an interview for you today. I am here with Ben Sheehan. Ben is a former award-winning executive producer at Funny or Die. He's the founder and executive director of OMG WTF, a nonpartisan group focused on civic engagement for adults. And today, he's releasing his book titled OMG WTF, Does the Constitution Actually Say? It's a funny and accessible annotated guide to the Constitution, our country's terms and conditions that we all agree to, but few of us actually understand. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Awesome. Cool. So I just wanted to sort of, I was really curious about why you wrote this book and how you sort of became interested in this topic. Sure. So I started this organization, uh, OMG WTF, which during 2018 stood for Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Texas, and Florida. And those are the states we were active in. And we did events to get out the vote in some of those states. Uh, we did fundraising events to help raise money for, for candidates for, uh, for state executive offices. And we also had, uh, um, at these events, we'd have concerts and magic shows and comedy shows. But one thing I noticed is that a lot of my friends uh, and peers who would come to these events didn't know that their state had a secretary of state. They didn't know that their state had an attorney general, or they thought we were talking about federal offices. And this happened enough that I sort of stopped and looked back, and I was like, why, why, why do so many people not, not know about these important offices that govern their life? So I was um, thinking about that, and at the, around the same time, I went back and found uh, my eighth grade copy of the Constitution that I got in my, uh, in my eighth grade government class. And I started reading it and I found it very inaccessible. Uh, the language is very dated, the tone is very odd. And I just felt like there was this sort of desire to understand this information, but a lot of people felt embarrassed that they didn't know it. And sort of the, the, the piece that put it all together for me was I did some research about civic education and it turns out that we largely stopped teaching it in school, specifically between the years, uh, well, really starting in 2002 um, and uh, continuing up till today, uh, only eight states now require a year of civics or government education. So we are feeling very embarrassed about knowing things that we weren't actually taught, at least in a very substantial way. So I thought we should all sort of start at the top and uh, start with our constitution. You mentioned eight states, only eight states require a year of civics or government education. And you said that that that's actually retracted from originally. One of my questions was, why hasn't civics education expanded? But it sounds like you're saying it used to maybe be more broad, but there's even less emphasis on it now. Is that true? That's true, yes. So back in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, we had a lot of civics and government classes. We had had a class called civics. We had American government. We had U.S. history. We had foundations of democracy. And after the 1960s, you started to see that uh, chip away. But in the modern era, the real sort of blow to civics and government education was uh, the passage of No Child Left Behind in 2002, which set up 
a bunch of incentives for states to get funding for their schools if they passed certain uh, uh, achievement levels in reading and math. So that consolidated a lot of the curricula at the state level across the country. And then same thing in Common Core, uh, uh, constricting it to a few core subjects, again, largely around reading and math. So we did used to teach civics a lot more, but because of these federal incentives for funding, um, we shrunk these departments. And so over the last 20 years, especially, we've been cutting these departments. So we did used to have it uh, a lot more. And I should say there are some really good organizations that are focused on getting it back uh, uh, at the state level. Uh, organizations called Generation Citizen, um, uh, the Mikva Challenge, others who are specifically focused on civics between kindergarten and 12th grade. But for anyone who graduated during that time and didn't get it, uh, where are you going to learn it now? Yeah, totally. I've been thinking a lot lately about how, like, with this crisis that's in the background of everything we're talking about, like, it's kind of the first time that a lot of people have, like, really engaged with their government in a direct way. And I feel like a lot of people suddenly have all these questions about things that they, they didn't know before. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of like an instigating moment for people wanting to be right. less alienated from these things that really affect us every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. So we asked our audience what they wanted to know about the Constitution, since we knew we were going to have uh, you here. And they really mm -hmm. delivered. They asked a lot of cool questions. We got a huge response. So I'm going to ask you um, some of the things that were repeated, but I wanted to jump into something super timely. So today I saw that 10th Amendment was just trending on Twitter. Um, the context is whether, I believe, is whether the president has the authority to override state leaders when it comes to reopening the economy or whatever that means, some sort of gesture that would signal to Americans or order them to get back out there. And the conversation seems there's sort of, he claims that he has the authority to, everybody else seems to think it's the governors, they're the one, the governors and the mayors have been the ones sort of implementing these stay-at-home orders. And now it seems to be this question up in the air and the 10th Amendment has come up in this context. So what's the 10th Amendment say? Why does it matter? How does it apply to this? Sure. So the 10th Amendment is the final amendment in, in the Bill of Rights. And it basically says that anything that the Constitution doesn't explicitly say is a federal government power or that the Constitution doesn't explicitly stay, say that the states cannot do, uh, it then becomes a power uh, reserved to the states or the people. So it basically says that this document uh, uh, only says what the federal government can do, what the states can't do. Uh, anything other than that is falls to the states of people. And the, the truth is that there's a lot that the document doesn't cover. There's a massive amount. I mean, that is, that is a huge catch-all. Anything that's not mentioned in here or, or banned in here from the states falls to the states and the people. So among that uh, are things like stay-at-home orders, uh, things like being able to uh, uh, close uh, businesses in your state, uh, or I should say non-essential businesses. Um, things like uh, Michigan uh, recently and a number of other states uh, classified grocery workers as essential employees where they're now um, um, uh, eligible for benefits like childcare. So there's a massive amount of stuff that we can do at the state level that isn't in the Constitution. So, um, you know, stay-at-home stay -at orders are, are, are a part of that. So I would say, you know, this, this unlocks a lot of powers to the states and specifically uh, for governors and state legislatures to employ uh, during a time of crisis. That's really interesting. So by far the most common question people asked was, we didn't seem to have such a complex or America didn't seem to have such a complex about adding amendments. I mean, it was always a huge process, but it seems like in recent decades, that process, we've been especially averse to it. Um, things that seem very obviously to a great deal of people, maybe even the majority of people are not things that we seem to be able to settle, settle on with law. And we had a lot of people ask, you know, why, 
why are we so sort of gun shy about amendments now? Why haven't we amended it for a while? What, what sort of changed? Um, what do you say to that question? So I, it's funny because we've only had 27 amendments in, in the yeah. history of, of this country, uh, but 10 of them were all uh, added together in, in the Bill of Rights. And that was in 1791. So from 1795 until today, for 225 years, we've only added 17 amendments. So it's not a ton. And one of those was by a fluke, really. In 1992, the 27th Amendment um, was this guy who was upset about a, a paper he wrote about an amendment that was still eligible to be ratified but hadn't. Uh, and he got a C on it by his, uh, uh, his TA. So he started writing state legislatures because he was angry. And then they started ratifying the amendment. And then it actually got added to the U.S. Constitution. It's a, it's a wild story. Um, yeah. But we, uh, it's not that we're necessarily averse but I think that we're so polarized right now and specifically polarized in a way that is state governments differ so vastly and we're so inundated with um, signs of polarization because we're more connected than we ever have been through, through our media. So you have to get 34 states uh, 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 to call a constitutional convention. You need to get uh, two thirds of Congress to propose uh, amendments and then you need to get 38 states to ratify them. So getting 38 states to agree on anything these days seems very uh, far-fetched given our political climate. Um, but I think it's also important to, to point out that the Constitution was set up to be amended. Almost all of Article 5, pretty much all of Article 5 is devoted to amending the Constitution. The people who wrote this wanted us to add things to it. They wanted us to change things if things become outdated. Even Thomas Jefferson and James Madison had a conversation about uh, whether or not the Constitution should be scrapped entirely and rewritten every 19 years uh, so that it's you know, more applicable to new generations. So I had never heard that before, and it kind of blew my mind yeah. when I read that. Yeah, so that was a, they, they, they exchanged letters about this. So the idea, I mean, they compared it to, you know, a, a, you, a coat that fit you when a, as a child, you know, expecting that coat to still fit you as a grown person. Um, you know, things need to change. And that is the point of Article 5 is to adapt the Constitution to change with the times. So I think it's a mix of our polarization right now as a, as a country and it, looking at everything through a partisan lens. But also through that, you need so many states, three quarters of states, 38 states, to ratify amendments, so getting 38 states to agree on anything just seems like, you know, a low probability given where we are. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. 
Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. I'm Betch's co-founder, Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. As we're talking about... Um the, pol- the political polarization of the country and how that's reflected in state governments. I can't help but think you also talk a lot about gerrymandering and not so much in the book, but I think it's another thing that you're really focused on with OMGWTF. And so I couldn't help but think, as you were saying, it's like, well, the Constitution doesn't really address gerrymandering. The Supreme Court has had opportunities to sort of give their say, and they've decided that I believe that they can't come down on partisan gerrymandering. Um, so I'm just curious if the, the Constitution seems to anticipate so many things that maybe clever ways that the country might figure out how to evade certain things. Um, why, and speak, the Supreme Court came down against sort of issuing guidance on racial gerrymandering, but on, on partisan gerrymandering, but for racial gerrymandering, they decided you can't do that. I'm wondering if the Constitution anticipates gerrymandering in any way. Or so, well, sure. So ironically, one of the three people who refused to sign the Constitution is a guy named Elbridge Jerry, who gerrymandering is named after when he was governor of Massachusetts. Uh, the districts that the legislature drew and that he approved were so badly shaped, they look like a salamander and so gerrymander. So there is a weird connection to the Constitution in that regard. Interesting. But the, the Constitution, so in we didn't use... Part of it is, is the fact that we didn't, we weren't mandated to use districts to decide which representatives, which represent which people in a state uh, until 1842. So that was when Congress passed the law saying that we have to use districts as a way to choose because in the past you could theoretically just say, okay, uh, um, South Carolina has this many uh, people, Virginia has this many people, so they get this many representatives. But those representatives weren't necessarily corresponding to a district, an area of land in specific People, So that was actually done more than 50 years after the Constitution was was written that we were required to use districts as a way to choose our representatives. So part of it is 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 that 
Um, as far as the difference between racial gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering, um, yes, you're, you're correct. Supreme Court has said that you can't gerrymander them based on, based on race. And that ties back to the 15th Amendment that says, you know, we can't de deny someone the right to vote or that their right to vote is either denied or abridged uh, based on their race. But if you use race as an indicator of what political party the person might support, that is this kind of gray area. But I think in the recent gerrymandering cases you're referencing with the Supreme Court, um, they, they basically said that, well, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't gerrymander based on political party preference. Um, that's a less protected class of, uh, uh, of people than, uh, than, than races. So that's really, we're going to leave that up to the up to the states. But the, the part where it gets weird is if you're using race, which a lot of people have done, and in the, in the case that went before Texas, uh, they said that, you know, it was, and, and North Carolina, um, they, the, the court said it specifically was clearly done with a racial intent. Um, the pushback as well, that's just a way to, you know, we're just talking about political party. Um, but as far as why they didn't anticipate it, I think it's because districts were not mandated as the way to uh, decide who represents who within a state until after uh, the Constitution was written. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, so what do you think are some feasible amendments we could see in our lifetime? Well, I would say there's one, there's one that uh, has gotten a lot of discussion recently, uh, although potentially for nefarious reasons. Uh, and then there's one that's top of mind right now because it just got the number of states required uh, to ratify it. Uh, and one is the balanced budget amendment and the other is the equal rights amendment. So a lot of states have called for uh, a balanced budget amendment to control uh, Congress's spending. And they've done that through a way of amending the Constitution that we've never actually done before. So in Article 5, it says that either two-thirds of Congress can propose amendments to the Constitution, or two-thirds of states can call for a constitutional convention. So a lot of state legislatures have said, well, we need to rein in federal spending. It's getting out of control. So we need to call a constitutional convention. And specifically to deal with a balanced budget amendment. But uh, the pushback against that, not that that is a bad idea in and of itself, the pushback is that that is sort of a backdoor to add any amendments to the Constitution because there's nothing that says the Constitutional Convention that's called has to only deal with that amendment. So they could maybe start with the balanced budget amendment and they say, oh, well, you know, we let's add this, oh, let's add this, let's add this. So it sort of opens the door to adding other amendments beyond just that one if it's done at a constitutional convention. So I would say there's, I've, I've read that certain uh, constitutional law experts have said there's as much as a 50-50 chance that a convention gets called in the next three or four years, uh, wow. which again has never been done before in the history of our country through, through Article 5. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment, which is uh, top of mind right now because Virginia just became the 38th state to ratify it uh, a couple months ago, but what's interesting about the Equal Rights Amendment is that it had an expiration date, and it was originally supposed to expire in 1979, and then it got extended to 1982. But there is this argument that, well, the expiration date isn't in the body of the amendment, it's only in sort of the preamble to the amendment. So there is a legal issue in dispute right now whether or not the expiration date applies. If the courts rule that it doesn't apply, then it is a very good chance that the amendment gets added to the Constitution. The 28th Amendment ends up being the Equal Rights Amendment. 
Um, beyond that, there's talk about having a, an anti-gerrymandering amendment, getting back to your, uh, your question earlier. Um, there's, I think, personally, if I were to pick any amendment to, to add to the Constitution, uh, it would be to give more control to the federal government in terms of pe protecting people's voting rights, because this is something that is sort of not um, well understood that the Constitution, you know, it protects certain people's rights from being taken away, but it doesn't specifically grant people the right to vote. It says that it's kind of up to their state. If you're able to vote in your state house elections, you can vote in your elections for uh, U.S. House and U.S. Senate. So that would be my pick is to reform how we uh, sort of outsource our, our elections and how they're run, um, even for federal office to the, to the states. But I would say the balanced budget amendment um, is, is possible. The equal rights amendment is possible. And then my distant hope is that a gerrymandering uh, amendment or a, uh, an amendment that allows more people yeah. to vote. Right. Yeah. Well, two of my additional questions are going to be, if you could add any amendment, what would it be? And also, um, somebody asked an interesting question, which was, what right do I think I have because of, via the Constitution that I don't actually have? And it sounded like voting might be sort of one of those. It is. It is. And, and I would wow. go a step further and say specifically that the right to vote for president uh, is not a right that we have. There's nothing about uh, our right to vote for president in the Constitution. This is a job that was given to uh, electors, and electors were supposed to be chosen, or are chosen by, the method of choosing electors is decided by the states. So they can either let us vote for president uh, as a statewide popular vote, which we've done since 1880. Uh, only since 1880, actually, has every state allowed uh, us to vote as a popular uh, vote in our state for president, and then the electors are given uh, that way. But states could also take that back. States, there's nothing that says they can't take back the power uh, to have, you know, state legislatures to the, choose the electors say, if we can't vote during a pandemic and we're not allowed to leave our homes and there's a problem where we, you know, don't all agree on vote by mail, um, there's nothing to prevent state legislatures from then choosing the electors themselves other than they'd probably wow. get a massive amount of blowback and potentially riots and uprisings and that sort of thing. But um, yeah. we do not have the constitutional right to vote for president as uh, people. I, I suspect that Donald Trump does not know that and I hope nobody tells him. <laughs> Well, there was a, there was a, I, not that I think he's off reading the Atlantic, uh, but there was a big article <laughs> about how uh, this is, this is the, this is the case. But um, there is, there is a lot that we could be running into given this pandemic and the next uh, few yeah. weeks and months uh, that would really put a stress test to the constitution. Totally. We got, I think that uh, we also got a lot of questions just sort of across the board about if the constitution anticipates any sort of disaster scenario, either in terms of whether states or the federal government comes in to assist, which you kind of got to, um, but also if it interferes with a general election or uh, elections for Congress, there's tons in there about how Congress and the president is elected. Um, is there anything that uh, gives guidance for if it is, you know, if we don't work to be at war or if there is a, a reason people can't participate in the election? But I guess you said people weren't actually, I mean, there's nothing in there saying that all the people have to go out and choose the electors. So I think more right. broadly, does any, anything in the Constitution anticipate what we might be going through in November? So it says that uh, with regard to the electors, um, you know, states, uh, uh, or, or actually I should say, uh, Congress uh, can pick the time where everyone chooses the electors and also on the day that they choose them. And that has to be the same day for the entire uh, country. So right now, uh, electors cast their electoral votes for president and vice president. It's a separate vote. 
uh, now thanks to the, the 12th Amendment, on the uh, second Wednesday after the first Monday in December. Um, so that's the day when electors cast their, their votes. So Congress could change that date. Uh, there's also the 20th Amendment, which says that um, if your vice president and a president don't qualify um, by the time they're supposed to take office in, uh, Jan on January 20th, uh, Congress can either choose an acting president, pass a law to choose an acting president, or uh, decide a method of choosing an act pre acting president. But that specifically is to whether the president or vice president, they use the word qualify. So mm -hmm. in, in, in my opinion, it's talking about whether for they're not 35 or whether they aren't, didn't hit the 14-year mark for being a, um, a living in the United States uh, or a natural-born citizen. Those are the qualifications listed for president, but you could make an argument in saying that, you know, well, if they aren't chosen by, you know, that date, that is, you know, they're not qualifying, and so Congress has the uh, ability to act. But that's really a question for uh, for for the courts to decide. So the, the quick answer to your question is no. There's no there's yeah. nothing in the Constitution that plans for uh, a global uh, um, pandemic uh, uh, interrupting in an election. Yeah. Got it. But it sounds like what you were saying there are sort of if, if this becomes a serious consideration, something to look at is, you know, look at the try to integrate voting by mail more broadly or, or figure out an amendment to to try to figure out a solution that way. Right. Well, Congress has the ability for the specific to, scenario. Exactly. So while states have the ability to choose, you know, the times, places and manner of their elections for senators and representatives, uh, Congress can override that. They can pass a law to, to, to supersede that. So Congress could pass a law saying that we all have to vote by mail uh, in the upcoming elections, and, and we could do that. So they, they have the ability to supersede uh, uh, certain state uh, election laws, but it's definitely going to come down to you know, the courts and how, they, and how they interpret this. Wow, got it. And my last question is, in your view, what is the most misunderstood thing about the Constitution? I would say that, well, my, my original answer was going to be that it grants everybody the, uh, the, right, the right to vote rather than just yeah. protecting it from being taken away. But I also think that in the last maybe 10 or 12 years, and maybe longer, we've really looked at the federal government as sort of the leading government in our lives. And it's something that dictates our every move. That's, that's our real government. We've kind of relegated state and local governments to the sidelines. And I think if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that when the federal government is inept, when it doesn't do its job in protecting us, states and local governments can step up. Look at all the governors who are leading the charge. Right now, you have a press conference going on. I think it's happening right now. It might have just ended where uh, several governors are, are getting together and deciding how to handle the coronavirus outbreak and, and cases in their, in their home states. Um, you know, I live in Los Angeles. My uh, mayor issued a, a, a stay in place, uh, a stay-at-home order, uh, you know, closed non-essential businesses and, and parks, and, and our governor, uh, you know, extended our stay-at-home order until... Um, uh, uh, the middle of May. So there are all these things that governors and, and local uh, uh, leaders can do at the, at the state and local level that have a massive impact on our lives. And I think, you know, getting back to the 10th Amendment is sort of a, a, a good way to sum this up is that the federal government has limits. It's only supposed to do certain things and everything else is left up to the states because states predated the federal government. They were in existence before and they got together and said, well, we maybe need to help each other a little bit uh, when it comes to defense and, and you know, the betterment of our lives. But I think that's why I would say the most misunderstood thing is that you know, 
the federal government is like an all-powerful government. It really is limited in its power, and our state and local governments have a lot more power than ours. Yeah, yeah. I was also curious, my last question, I said that was my last question, but it sounds like you you put in um, your book that like your mom talked about this stuff with you. Um, and, and you sound like you're, you're an expert by all, by all intents and purposes, but did you learn anything new while you were putting this book together? I learned so much. Um, well, yes, my mom, you know, my mom worked, um, uh, we don't, but my mom worked in the Senate for 15 years. And when I was growing up over, uh, at dinner sometime, she was, she wasn't a Senator, she worked for a Senator and she would Mm -hmm. sort of give me civics lessons when I was little. She'd be like, the house is 435 members, the Senate's a hundred, here's how they're chosen. So I got an early exposure um, uh, to this, but I learned so much about this because I only took one government. I went to school in DC. I only got one government class and I, it blows my mind how much about the constitution, just given where I grew up, given the fact that I studied political science that I didn't know. And I feel like a lot of us don't know. And it seems weird to me that we don't know this because this is our rule book. This is our terms and conditions. This is how our country runs. And I think that there's a real opportunity for people to take advantage of us if we don't know this information. So um, I was lucky to get it from an early age and hopefully, you know, either this book or or other methods, um, you know, renew our interests so that, you know, we can make changes to our government because in order to do that effectively, we need to know how it works. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Ben. And Ben's book, OMG, W2F, Does the Constitution Actually Say, is out today, April 14th. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. The Sup is created by Sammy Fishbein. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to Sup at Betches.com. Betches.